Jonas Kwangwa uh, with the song titled Ma Africa there, ushering us into our chat about the mother of the nation, Mama Albertina Sisulu. And this is part of our essay history lesson, Umkhabulo, here on Lifetime Live with me, Asanda Beda. Joining us on the phone is Eleanor Sisulu, who is daughter-in-law to the late Albertina Sisulu, literary human rights activist and author of Walter and Albertina Sisulu in our lifetime. Welcome, Ma Eleanor, to Lifetime Live. Yes, thanks. Um, it's a pleasure to talk to you. So just, I mean, that song ushering us then as, uh, you know, being titled Ma Africa and Mama Albertina Sisulu, having had the title of Umada of the Nation there. Uh, tell us about, you know, how, okay, maybe we can just rewind before that time of her being Mother of the Nation and, you know, the series and her life and, and what she, she went through. Being born in 1918 in Kuzomo, in the uh, former Transkai region now in the Eastern Cape, and being one of uh, six, yeah, well, the were six children, six daughters in her family, and she was the second eldest. Let's go back there in terms of, you know, her upbringing and how that might have contributed to her earning this title of Mother of the Nation. Well, first of all, she wasn't part of six daughters. She was, she had an older brother, and then she had uh, two younger brothers and a younger sister. So she was part of five, two girls and three boys. Right. And she she grew up, um, her father died when she was about 15, and her father said that she, on his deathbed, said she needs to care for her siblings, which was something very unusual because she was the second eldest and she was a girl. And we know in our cultures, and that was in a Tosa family, that he overlooked the older brother to get the second youngest who was a daughter to give her that responsibility. Mm. So it suggests that, that, that already at that age she had already shown some level of strength and responsibility that her father recognizes and said she must look after her siblings. And in b- pursuing that, uh, being the responsible, you know, a girl in the family, then she now moves from the Transkai, comes to Johannesburg in pursuit of employment and becomes a nurse. Yes, she studied at Maria Zell College in Matatien, and then she, when she, she wanted to become a nun, actually. But then the, the priest said to her, do you realize if you're a nun, you won't be able to look after your siblings? So she decided then to take on nursing, because at least she would be trained and earn something. And so that's how she ended up in Joburg, at Joburg General Hospital in, the 19, in 1940, and became a nurse. Would you say that toughened her up a bit? Uh, you know, obviously, I mean, the, the the background of where she came from must have taught her quite a lot in terms of being a strong woman. But that particular moment where she was a nurse uh, in Johannesburg, would you say that toughened her up even more, having to deal with segregation in the hospitals? Uh, and at the time, it was the Johannesburg General. It was There was a section for yes. white uh, patients and a section for black patients. And uh, we remember, you know, one incident where the black side of the black, uh, patient side of things was, you know, in capacity full, and uh, some of the nurses were, you know, requesting that uh, the wards that are, you know, designated for white uh, people be made available for some of the black patients, and that was refused. And the nurses there had to deal with the students. I mean, the the patients uh, on, you know, the floor where there were no beds to 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 accommodate them. 
Yes, it was her first exposure to racial discrimination because in the Trump sky where she grew up in course, it was mostly black people. And the couple of white people that she saw were the missionaries or the teachers. So there was not at school at Mariazel. So the kind of white people she was exposed to were not, it was not the same in Johannesburg. And so it was her first experience of actually seeing uh, racial discrimination in practice. And that must have toughened her in terms of, you know, now her wanting, you know, the involvement of her in the Federation of South African Women, which came later. Yeah, it did. It did toughen her and she it became aware and she became sensitive. Also, when her mother died, um, I think she was not allowed to go uh, to the trans guy. And so she and then also seeing what people around were experiencing the you know, living in an urban area under apartheid. And then, of course, she met Walter Sisulu and was immediately taken into a circle of very active young uh, men. Most they were men, all men at that time. Uh, so she was the only woman at the opening, at the founding meeting of the ANC Youth League. Uh, it was Walter Sisulu, A.P. Da. Um, Lembele, Mandela, it was all these brilliant, uh, radical young men. And she was the only woman there at the time, uh, though she wasn't very political at that point. Uh, and then it, later on, of course, she also then became more politicized. And I think really after 1952, she started emerging as a political leader in her own right. We're going to take a short break and continue with our essay history lesson. Um Umkhabulo here on Lifetime Live, chatting to Eleanor Sisulu, daughter-in-law to the late Albertina Sisulu. SAFM, leading the conversation. Leading the conversation with Eleanor Sisulu now here on SAFM, daughter-in-law to the late Albertina Sisulu, a literary human rights activist and author of Walter and Albertina Sisulu in our lifetime, part of our essay history lesson, Um Khabulo. Can you imagine, Ma Eleanor, not being able to rush home when you get the news that your mother has passed uh, because of, you know, the racial discrimination and all of that, and she couldn't uh, be given time off work? Um, and then, you know, being, you know, jailed later on as well in life uh, and being unable to breastfeed her 10-month-old baby because she had to be now, you know, yanked literally out of that space. Uh, what and how did she, you know, in your conversations maybe with her, rise above and deal with those uh, two, you know, quite traumatic incidents in her life and, and uh, get closure on that? Yeah, you know, Mama was not one to dwell on... Uh, she, she she wasn't a person who was into victimhood. She was very much, these things are happening, they are part of the system, they will continue happening, uh, they are painful, and she had this thing that you mustn't show that they are hurting you. You must be strong and you must actually develop a strategy and work for change. That was how she dealt with things. Uh, I remember the one time my sister-in-law was telling me when her son Lungi was was. Um, arrested. That was the one time she said the Boers can do what they want to your father. They can do whatever they want to to to, to me. But when they touch my children, they break me at my knees. And that was the thing that really really pained her to see 
what was happening when children were brutalized. So, you know, moving through uh, the Ravonia trial, 1963 leaders banned, then that period between 64 and 69 when repression was extreme, and then up to 1976 when Soweto exploded. She went through all those periods, just, I think, the focus on work, focus on her nursing work as a professional person, and the community work, but also focus on the struggle and working underground, because she was a leading figure in the underground struggle. And mm. and, and I think that is what sustained her through all those difficult times. And I mean, talking about, I mean, her multifacetedness as well, you know, um, and, and just the role that she did play, uh, you know, in the history of South Africa uh, before her arrest that we speak about there, uh, you know, when she couldn't be with a 10 month old baby in the 1950s, uh, her home in Orlando West in Soweto kind of became a school because it was used as a classroom when the ANC called for the immediate withdrawal of uh, children from uh, all African primary schools because of the campaign against the introduction of Bantu education. Yes, so the, that, it was a school for a period of time. And um, so I, I, the home was only the center of political activity uh, where people met. I mean, Mandela, Tambo and Sisulu you know, were inseparable. They would meet, they would have meet uh, all the time. They would strategize, people would come. So people were coming in and out of the home. Of course, that changed once Tata went to jail in 1964 and she was banned and it meant she was not allowed to be in contact with other activists. Then it quieted, quieted down, but still people from the community came in and out. So she was very much a center of activity uh, around that time. And then, of course, when the UDF uh, happened, she was in jail at the time of the UDF. She was in jail for two years in around 1985-86 at the time of the Peter Marisburg treason trial. So she was actually elected to the UDF in absentia. So when she came out of jail, she stepped into this role as co-president. You remember there were three presidents of the UDF, Archie Gumede, Albertina Sisulu, and now my memory is failing me for the third one. So there were the three mm. presidents, and so she was one of the three. So she was all over the country. She had to speak at gatherings. Uh, she then moved from <laughs> having a very kind of quiet life from a jail cell to being pushed onto the international and international stage. It's no wonder that we do celebrate her and uh, this year specifically being the centenary of the birth of Mama Albertina Sisulu. Thank you so much again for your time, uh, Ma Eleanor. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.